This podcast is brought to you by and by Neutralite, exclusively from Amway. This novel new brand is an experiential wellness line created to empower your mind and enrich your body to help you be more you. Because you are unstoppable, and end products will help you meet your goals every day. Because with end by Neutralite, you got this. Follow us on Instagram at Neutralite US. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. Welcome to the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. College football playoff week edition of the podcast. Hope everybody had a great Christmas and has a nice, quiet New Year's planned of watching a lot of college football. Uh, later in the podcast, we're going to link up with Gene Chizik, the former head coach of the Auburn Tigers, who won a national championship in 2010, and hopefully get a feel from him about what this is like for these teams getting ready to play for a game like this, like we're going to have on January 1st with Alabama versus Notre Dame, Clemson versus Ohio State. This is the seventh year of the college football playoff. In some ways, it is a little bit of a repeat that we just cannot get out of this cycle of the same teams over and over again. Uh, But, Paul, we are – in a very different time, typically you and I would be on site somewhere already. We'd be at the Rose bowl and that hotel in downtown Los Angeles with the big ballroom. I don't even remember what it's called interviewing people in person and talking to assistants and coordinators and a lot of other people who never get in front of the media and one-on-ones with players, not this year. It's all over zoom. It's all virtual. And then we're just going to show up for the game and, kind of have this bizarre experience that uh, I don't know. I don't know that mentally I can even process what it's going to be like to, to be in a football stadium. That's kind of empty and with that kind of stakes and, and that kind of pressure on those teams is it's, it's not going to be the same, but uh, you know, by this point in the year, I think everyone's kind of prepared for all the different elements and it's all just going to be about who the best football team is. Yeah. I'm, I'm just happy we're here. At this point, I think a lot of us weren't sure. I mean, certainly back in March, April, May, that we would get to this point. There were spots during the year and in August, September, when you were worried that we wouldn't get to this point. But here we are. I mean, it's weird to not be expensing my meals. Like I'm paying for my food right now. I'm not a huge fan of that. But um, otherwise, we're close to the finish line. I feel like we've said this like at least half of our episodes. We, we're up in the air. We're about to land this plane. Let's land it cleanly and get out of here and and get back in 2021 with some normalcy. Yeah, there's no doubt. In fact, I just got off the phone with the coach and we were talking about what, what next year is going to look like and for, for their team. And it's, it's been a rough year. It's been a trying year. And and we've seen with a lot of teams opting out of bowl games, teams having last minute issues that have canceled bowl games. It's just, it's been a really delicate dance and it's been stressful. It's been tiring and mentally draining, 
But I do think for the teams that have a chance to win a national championship, it's been a different experience. Uh, obviously, they've had to go through the same stuff everyone else has with, with the testing and delays and games that have been moved around and the uncertainty of it all. But when you are playing for a national championship, when, when you're at this point, I, I think all these teams are pretty locked in. And I think that mentally they're, they're ready to go do this. Um, it, I don't know what we can pick up, uh, but one of the factors that I do think is going to be interesting is the quick turnaround. You know, typically when, when you have those conference championship games the first weekend of December, then you've got a long layoff until the playoff games that gives teams a lot of time to prepare. And sometimes they put in new stuff. Uh, It's certainly one of the reasons why Alabama has got such a great record in, in these games, not just because of their talent, but because they they do such a great job preparing with the long layoff. And sometimes it's harder for them to, to turn around and do it again. Now everyone's got kind of a short layoff here. Some teams actually sent players home. Alabama's guys uh, went home for, for Christmas. So do you think that is going to impact the way these games are played or impact any team in particular that, that you don't have that, that long time to prepare? Yeah, I think that's an interesting part of the, of the run-up. And I think if you ask 10 coaches, not necessarily 10 playoff coaches, but just 10 bowl coaches, how would you like to prep for the bowl season? I think at least half, if not a little bit more, would say, hey, I would love to have seven to 10 days because your team gets to stay in a routine. That's not always possible. Uh, certainly this year with a later finish, you couldn't stay in that routine and still celebrate Christmas and, and give kids a little bit of a break. But my, my thought about that is I wonder if it, if the shorter period between championship games and, and uh, the semis negates to a degree, Ohio state's fewer games played because Ohio state just based off the amount of uh, the amount of physical punishment they've taken relative to the other three teams you would think they'd be fresher and that, you know, if you give them more time, they'd be even fresher because they haven't had as much wear and tear. I wonder if every team has the same number of, let's think, you know, 12 days between winning a conference title and playing, if it evens the score and really removes one of the major talking points for Clemson and and Sweeney going in, which is, Hey, they played six games. Theoretically, they'll be fresher than we are having played 11. I don't know the answer to that, but I do think it makes for a very unique semi relative to our, our six year history going into this game. And uh, from my perspective, and, and I think we'll pick at some point, it makes these games even harder to pick because not just have we not seen a lot of Ohio state, for example, um, I, I don't know which staff to give an edge in terms of how they would maximize 10 full days of being able to prep for this game. Well, let's start with that Clemson, Ohio state game. We'll break down each of these individually. Uh, this is the late game on new year's day, the sugar bowl, and you get Clemson as, as the de facto home team, Ohio State as the lower seed. You've already got some baked-in controversy to this game because as was revealed uh, after our last podcast, all the ballots of the coaches in the Amway Coaches Poll, it's part of the deal that they have with the AFCA, which is that the final ballot gets released publicly. And Dabo Sweeney, who is a voter in the poll, put Ohio state number 11 in, in that poll. And he did that before he knew he was going to be playing Ohio state. Although frankly, Dabo's not a dumb guy. I'm sure he had some idea that, that they were probably going to end up playing Ohio state in the semifinal. But uh, when it became public, the Dabo put Ohio state number 11 
that that became a storyline. That became a thing. And I'm sure Ohio State has got that plastered all over their locker room. I'm sure they are playing that up in a big way. Dabo was on a conference call on on Monday and just said, hey, listen, I, I was not going to put anyone in the top 10 who didn't play, what was it, eight games, did he say? Yeah, so you had to play at least nine to be nine. a contender for his top 10. Right. So that that's his line of demarcation after the fact. And look, I, I don't love to talk about the motivation stuff because I just don't think it really matters most of the time. But do you think that there will be an Ohio State effect knowing that uh, the head coach of the other team just does not seemingly regard them that highly? Um, I think if, if they're humans, they'll take something from it. I just like, I, this will be a major talking point. And, and in a traditional media day, like we've seen where it's like on the floor of a, of a, the local college gym, um, you'd see guys giving sound bites and being asked a million questions while all sorts of, of folks about it. Um, if you need that to be ready for Clemson, like if you need that to take the next step, then, then you're probably going to lose anyway. And besides Ohio state's primary motivation for this game and has been for 11 months is the feeling that they were robbed in January in the festival, that they were cheated out of their shot at the national championship. So Ohio state doesn't lack for motivation in the first place for in Dabo's defense. It was, it doesn't make any, it like his argument makes no sense in general because this isn't, you know, like participation trophies, you, you play and you gauge off what you see. Most people think Ohio state's one of the top four teams in the country. He did say that, you know, Ohio state could beat Clemson by two touchdowns. It's not a reflection of, you know, whether Ohio state's the 11th best team in the country, but whatever. I mean, we got to have something. And I think like this is going to be our talking point going into the game. But to me, it's, it's pretty meaningless. I, I don't think either side is going to make anything major out of it. Yeah. I think that part of it does stem back to last year. Clemson wins that game where for 80% of it, it, it seemed like they were getting outplayed and, and they were able to pull it out somehow in the end. Uh, they had beaten Ohio state before in the playoffs uh, very badly, uh, completely lopsided uh, on their way to their first uh, national title. They They have, had some very uh, notable wins over this Ohio state team. And it's become this weird kind of rivalry, even though it's not a rivalry in the sense that they're always playing each other every year. They're always beating each other. Like in terms of rivalries, Clemson is to Ohio state in some ways as Ohio state is to Michigan right now. Like, like Clemson has clearly been the superior team and I think they are the superior team here, but this game does have a little something extra to it because the matchup has just been, it's just been interesting in, in various ways. Uh, you also had the thing a few years ago where Dabo Sweeney, when he was in, involved in a recruiting battle with, with Jackson Carmen uh, mm-hmm. with Ohio state basically said that uh, I guess told Jackson Carmen that urban Meyer was going to retire soon. And that's why he should go to Clemson. And, and, you know, and Dabo was right. Uh, ultimately, Urban Meyer did retire soon, and 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 Jackson Carmen did go to Clemson. Uh, but so there's even like little stuff like that where the it's fodder for, for the fan bases. Um, but ultimately, you're right; it does come down to who's the better team. And I, I I'm having trouble figuring out 
how Ohio State wins this game. Yeah, that's fascinating. I will say, like, just I, I do want to talk about that, but I, I, for our listeners, just in case they're not aware, and, and you did touch on it, this is a fascinating series, even though they've only played four times, because each of the four games, all in bowl play, has been, like, ridiculously meaningful. You have the Woody Hayes game in, in 78 at the Gator Bowl when he punched the Clemson player and, and got fired. Um, you obviously have the last two semis meetings. And then in 2014, Dan, like when Clemson beat Ohio State in the Orange Bowl, a year after, I think they got destroyed by West Virginia. Yeah, um, like big moment. Something, that was a turning point for the program. Like it was when you look back on it. Um, it's interesting you say that about Ohio State. And, and I think this is a reflection a little bit based off what – Dabo believes about this team. We all kind of have accepted that Ohio state's damn good and they can beat anyone. And, and I don't know if you can really shoot a hole in that theory. I think the issue is Clemson right now is playing like Clemson does at this point of the year. I think they play their best game of the year against Notre Dame, very complete both sides of the ball. Ohio state is coming off their worst performance over 60 minutes, albeit against their best opponent. Um, I think they're coming into this game. Ohio state is, is just, there's more uncertainty about what they're about, what they're capable of. So I agree with you. I, I I'm not to the point where I would say I can't see how they would win, but um, I agree that Clemson should be seen as the favorite in this game, just based off our last view of each team. Clemson's best has been better than Ohio state's best this year. I think that's important to think about when two really great teams and programs meet. Um, your eyeballs tell you that Clemson is the better team. And I think they're going to prove that out, though Ohio State could flip the switch and win the whole thing. So it's a toss-up, but I lean towards Clemson. Yeah, I think one of the real intriguing parts of this game, and, and you can go back to last year, the, the quarterback matchup with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, it – got a lot of attention. It deserved a lot of attention. It's a fascinating storyline, both from the state of Georgia, both highly rated five-star recruits, uh, both obviously now uh, having come to the end of their college careers and one's got a national championship, the other doesn't. Um, we'll see about the Heisman. I think it's likely that that both will end their careers Heismanless. Uh, and then you go to the next stage, which is the NFL draft, and everyone's got Lawrence uh, going number one to, to Jacksonville. And Fields, over time, you know, it, it felt like for, for a while that Fields was catching up, catching up, catching up, catching up. And then this season, it seems like the gap has has grown again. And I had somebody asked me the other day, I was on a show whether or not Justin Fields NFL draft stock has gone down as a result of this year. And, and like, you can look at a box score, like in the big 10 championship, you know, 12 for 27, 114 yards, two interceptions. He's had other games like that this year. Is there a regression? Is, is something wrong or is Justin Fields's play? And you can extrapolate that out to the whole, Ohio state offenses level of play related to the fact that they have not been able to have a real season. It's been this start and stop thing and they got going late and not a ton of practice and they didn't play three weeks in a row. Very, you know, they was start and stop and start and stop and a long break. And there's just been no rhythm. There's been nothing allowing them to, to 
to gain confidence. You know, there was no Central Michigan coming in early in the season where everyone feels good about their performance and carry that confidence into the next week. Like it's been, it's been a little bit of a nightmare and, and I'm really curious to see what Justin Fields does on this stage. uh, Just kind of given the, the really unfortunate season that, that he's had. Yeah. I don't, you're, his stock has gone down. It has because he was in contention for being number one overall. And now he's like number five. I mean, it's all relative, but his stock has certainly gone down and it's gone down really since the end of November. And I think a part of it, like you said, has to do with the fact that Ohio state hasn't been able to get into a rhythm all season. And I think you can really see that within games themselves when they don't have to play 60 minutes and they take their foot off the gas and and teams have a comeback or they have three good quarters and one average quarter. Um, So if you kind of flip the conversation about whether they're fresher or not, maybe the fact that they only played six games is a significant detriment compared to Clemson, which has played 11. Um, This is a million dollar game. We talk about million dollar games for like left tackles, like a left tackle at so-and-so when they play miles Garrett and for a and M it's a million dollar game. You put that on tape against a star, you make yourself a million dollars in a signing bonus. Um, This is a million dollar game for Justin Fields because Lawrence is your number one pick. Um, Fields doing well against Clemson and playing like he did in, in the first three games of the year. It's a million dollar game because he moves him up a couple draft spots, in my opinion. So I'm not willing to say that that Fields and Lawrence will determine the game itself because there's so much surrounding talent on the field. But I think it's pretty obvious that you can look at the box score afterwards without knowing the final result, look at their lines and 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 decide how the game played out. Because if Fields throws two plus interceptions, in my opinion, there's no way Ohio State wins if they're minus two in turnovers. Clemson is too good. If you look at the three games Clemson has played since they lost to Notre Dame in that double overtime game, 52-17 over Pitt, 45-10 over Virginia Tech, 34-10 over Notre Dame. Is there any vulnerability, especially that we've seen post the Notre Dame loss, that, that maybe Ohio State's coaching staff is looking at and saying – Maybe we can exploit this. Maybe we have an advantage here. Good question. Um, I don't like Ohio State's running. Uh, yeah, Ohio State's running game against Clemson's defense. Uh, overall, for Ohio State, I'm not in love with their defense. It's Clemson's offense. In my opinion, the best way, or the way that Ohio State might be salivating, is just against Ohio against the Clemson secondary. And I don't even know if that's great of an advantage. But you've seen, even if let's just include Ian Book twice, I mean, you've seen quarterbacks have success against Clemson's secondary. Um, I think that can be tied into the fact that Clemson, when they don't blitz, not as successful as they've been in the past, certainly not as successful as they were when they had Wilkins and Farrell and those guys up front, just a four-man front dominating the, the offensive line. So if you can give Fields time and you have to force Clemson to send extra blitzers to bring pressure, I think that's Ohio State's recipe for, for great offensive success. Um, but I don't know if that's just a guarantee. I do think they'll will, they will put up yardage through the air, but um, no, I don't, I don't see an obvious flaw with either team, but I do see an ability for Ohio state to have some success in the passing game. All right. We'll uh, come back later and pick these games, uh, but let's take a look now at the early game on new year's day, which would be the Rose bowl. It is, uh, I guess still technically the Rose bowl, although it will be played in, uh, Dallas. It'll be played at uh, uh, AT&T Stadium. Notre Dame, Alabama. 
Alabama's about a three touchdown favorite. Uh, I'm seeing now 19 and a half points. You know, look, I, th- I think Notre Dame, the perception of, of what they are and what they could be took a, took a big hit with the way that uh, Clemson kind of ragdolled them in the ACC championship. Uh, but up until that point, I, I was impressed all year long with Notre Dame, just kind of what, what they were, their fabric, uh, what they've been on the line of scrimmage. You know, and I, look, I'm not trying to needlessly hype up a game that we all think is probably going to be an Alabama win and, and probably a pretty sizable Alabama win. But there's one thing about this game that intrigues me, which is if you look at Notre Dame and the difference between the first time they played Clemson and the second time, yes, difference in quarterback, DJ Uyunglele and Trevor Lawrence. But what, what Notre Dame was able to do in that first Clemson game is they were able to shut off the run and they were also able to shut off the quarterback run because DJ is not a great runner. Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence is an elite runner and that really hurt Notre Dame in that, that ACC championship game. So I, I look at this matchup and as much as I love Alabama, I've been saying since the beginning, they're the best team. Mac Jones is, is more DJ Uyunglele than he is Trevor Lawrence. He is not going to uh, tuck it and run. He's not going to churn out first downs with his legs. And, you know, I, if there's one thing that I think Notre Dame can do, you know, maybe they can shut down the running game a little bit, put some pressure on Mac Jones. And does that become a factor that, that maybe Alabama hasn't had to deal with before? That's the only way that they win this game. I mean, really, it is. You have to have the Clemson blueprint. And like, you know, a lot of people say Notre Dame is crappy now because they lost to Clemson once. Let's just let's not make too much out of one game either direction. I think they 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 earned this shot. They've been very good, very, very good all season. Um Clemson's or Notre Dame's defense has splash players, I think. I think Kyle Hamilton Hamilton is an all American player. Uh Uwusu Koromoa is an all American player. Those are kind of guys who can make individual plays that can change the complexion of a game. Um, but yeah, can Notre Dame's defense as a whole, can they make Alabama one-dimensional? If they did, they'd be the only team to do it all season. I'm just not sure if that's really realistically possible. Um, this is a good team. I, for the life of me, uh, can't see a real reason to think why they could win this game. And not just why they will, but why they could. I, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Well, and the problem is, even if you do make Alabama, quote-unquote, one-dimensional, dimensional, that's, it's a hell of a dimension. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like, even if you were to go out there and tell me, well, Alabama's just, they're not going to be able to run the ball at all in this game. And they're going to have to go throw it every time. And you know what? Uh, Mac Jones may get sacked a few times and, you know, maybe he throws an interception or two. I, I'd still pick Alabama to win because you know they're going to score 40 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, uh, we know they're going to score 30. I mean, we know that. They, they the lowest, 30, I'd be shocked. The lowest uh, scoring output they've had all year was was 38 in the season opener against Missouri. They've scored 40 or more in every other game. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Um, it's just a bad matchup. And look, it, like this is going to feel like we're talking crap about Notre Dame. It's not really a Notre Dame thing. It's an Alabama thing. Alabama can kill you in so many different ways with so many different players. And their defense, despite falling short against Florida for the first time in a, in a month or so, 
I just don't see Notre Dame having any of the look, they have talent, obviously. I don't see them having any of the same ability as a Florida to do what they did to Alabama, which is stretch them out, explosive plays, 20 plus yard plays through the air, uh, three or four weapons who can hurt you if they're in single coverage on a single play. I just don't think that Notre Dame has any of that multiplicity on offense. Um, and they can't muddy it up. You know what I mean? Like you said, like you can't make this Alabama team play a 17, 14 game, you know, you just can't. So <sighs> tell me so, why they can win. Right, like, tell so, me why they can win. I don't know. Right. So, so if you're Brian Kelly and, and if you're the coaching staff at Notre Dame, you're probably thinking you're going to need some trick plays. You're going to need to score and get an onside kick. Um, it's all going to be about, you know, stealing a possession here, a possession there, and then also trying to match score for score, which, which Florida was able to do fairly successfully. Like it, it, they weren't able to do it every time. And that's why they lost by six. But for a lot of that game, they were able to kind of go score for score. And does Notre Dame have the capability of doing that? Does Ian book have the ability as a quarterback to do that? It's, it's a lot to ask. It's a lot of, of, of really good throws to make, a lot of drives to sustain, a lot of third down conversions. I, I think it's going to be tough. This is not going to be 2012 where, where Notre Dame was just completely inept at whatever they tried to do against Alabama in that championship game. But uh, I I think, I think they're going to be in for a long day. Yeah, I think so too. And look, that's just like, I can say on offense what the blueprint is. And I'm not saying they can do it against Alabama, but you have to do what you do, what you did to Clemson. And that is run as many plays as you possibly can. You have to run the ball effectively and you have to get book out of the pocket purposefully and have him be successful on the run. That's what they did against Clemson. And I think what surprised me about book in that game is that he was able to to do such a good job when rolling to his right in the pocket or throwing on the run. And that, and that showed me that he was a little bit of a different player maybe than I thought he was going into that game. Um, that's the only way to do it. Um, they've done it before. I think Alabama's different. Uh, it's a hell of an achievement just to get to this point, period, especially in 2020. I don't think that if even if you're a Notre Dame fan, you should expect anything more than just a disappointment. But again, even if it's better than 2012, I think that's that's okay. You don't want it to be 42-14. I think they can give them a little bit of a better game than that. But uh, have fun at that game. At least you'll be done by the fourth quarter. You can write that. You can pre-write. Well, I, I will say I covered one semifinal before in that building. It was uh, the Cotton Bowl. It was that Alabama-Michigan State game. I don't think this one will be quite as lopsided as that. Mm-hmm. That was that was about the most lopsided playoff game I've seen. And what does this do for? Let's just say because we're basically saying it already. Let's just say that it's thirty-eight twenty-one, thirty-eight twenty-four, competitive to a degree, but never truly in doubt. Any takeaways for what it means for Brian Kelly? What it means for this program? It would be an affirmation for a lot of people who look at them and say, "Hey, they're good, but they can't win on a big stage." Is that? tempered a bit by the fact that like we both believe that this Alabama team is potentially special. Yeah. I think we'll know from the Alabama side when they play Clemson, 
you know, that would, that's the game we're all anticipating to see on uh, January 11th. You know, maybe something will happen and we won't see that game, but, but that's the one where we'll learn where Alabama ranks historically. Uh, as far as Notre Dame, I, I think there is a potential win for them in, you know, like you said, a, a 10 point or a 14 point loss where they can t- just look at the clear trajectory and say, we were better prepared this time than we were the last time we were in a playoff game. We were better prepared against Alabama than we were the last time we, we played Alabama and we can move forward. I, I think Notre Dame has settled into a nice rhythm of, of knowing who they are and knowing, knowing the kinds of players that they need to get in order to, to compete at that level. They may not always get them. You know, it's, it's hard. Notre Dame is, is a great school and a great program, but it's not going to get the same volume of, of those five-star guys as, as, as an Alabama or Clemson for the most part. So uh, they've got to figure, figure out how to close that gap and, and maybe they never do. You know, maybe they don't. But uh, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I I feel very good about where the program is regardless of, of the outcome in this game. Yeah. So we might, we might not be able to ask this question or I might might not be able to ask this question of you in our, in our final episode of the season before the the championship, because they might not win. So let me ask it now, if Ohio state beats Clemson and Ohio state beats Alabama, they're eight. No, and they'll have won a national championship. Do we put an asterisk on that? Because they only played eight games? No, no asterisk. Uh, because when you get in the playoff in this setup and you win two games against incredibly you know, high-level teams, uh, then I don't think there's an asterisk to, to be had. You, know, you, you can only play who's in front of you. Uh, it's not like you can fluke your way into the playoff. And, and then win two games from there. And, and there, there's not going to be, with all due respect to, you know, BYU, like there's not going to be any 1984 BYUs anymore. Like that's just not going to happen. You have to win two games against awesome teams, against elite recruits. And so I don't put any asterisk. You don't think that, uh, okay, well, you might not, but do you think that that's going to be a, uh, a thing? I mean, I think, not just not based off them beating the two because that's an achievement, but based on the fact they only had to play six to get there. I, I guess. Look, people are are pissed about Ohio State, you know, and and I think you hear that within the football complex within or within football complexes around the country that there's a feeling like these guys kind of slid in there and and. Uh, I, I don't know that they, they, they kind of got a free pass because of their brand, because of the uniforms. And I get that. I understand the the angst over that. Everyone else, 10, 11 games had to grind through it. This team gets in playing six. Um, but this is the system, man. It, it's always been a beauty contest. And it's, I don't think it's ever pretended to be anything other than that in terms of getting in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, we can't avoid that topic. I think if they do win it, um, but there certainly won't be an asterisk in the, in the NCAA record book, but I think there will be in the eyes of some people, maybe Davo Sweeney among others who would look at that and say, Hey, they didn't have to play the same road to get there. All right. I want to do a brief conversation about coaching carousel and then we'll get our, our picks. But first let's uh, hook up with Gene Chizik, former coach of the national champion, Auburn Tigers inside the Amway coaches poll from USA today sports. 
Focus, focus, focus. When you need a little help to create the perfect game plan, outthink an opponent, or just be your best, and by Neutralite Slay the Day Tangerine Lemon Focus Gummies, powered by ginseng, a natural substance that supports brain health and vitamins B6 and B12 to aid concentration when you need it most. Vegetarian-friendly and free from all the nasties of artificial colors, flavors, and sweeteners, slay your day with Slay the Day Focus Gummies from N by Neutralite. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about how focus and competitiveness relate from focus authority and clinical investigator Dr. Jennifer Chang, Ph.D., These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Pleased to welcome to this week's podcast, former Auburn coach, current SEC ESPN uh, analyst, Gene Chizik. Gene, it's been 10 years since... You won the national title at Auburn. Uh, you didn't play in the college football playoff, but you did coach in the BCS championship game. Uh, I know that you relate well to what the coaches and the players are feeling right now as they're getting ready for this playoff. What strikes you about your memories of getting ready for for that game 10 years ago? Well, Dan, you know, yeah, it's uh, boy, it doesn't seem like it was 10 years. It seemed like it was almost yesterday, but You know, I had the good fortune of playing in two of these, actually. One as a defensive coordinator uh, at Texas in 2005. One as the head coach at Auburn five years later. Um, Preparation wasn't much different. You know, I mean, this this point in time, you're just you're really amped up. You're really you're excited to, you know, to to get the game, get to the game. And, you know, one of the things in preparation that I remember having these conversations with Mac Brown when I was at Texas. And then when I was the head coach making the decisions was, you know, we had so much time, which is a little bit different than now, you you know, we had 38, I don't know, almost 40 days before the SEC championship or the big 12 championship. And the time we played the national championship and everything was about balance and, and really not practicing too much, not overdoing things, uh, but making sure we did enough. Everything was about balance. Um, and I think that's one of the key things for, you know, all these guys involved in the college football player playoff. What is the right balance? And obviously now with, with the COVID issues and things of that nature, uh, that kind of adds another different element to this as well. But preparation is the key to all of these things, not doing too much, uh, but certainly doing enough as well. So, Gene, if you were the head coach this year, 2020, and you had, let's think, they got like 12 days until the title game, what would be your your style? Would you try just to replicate a normal game week as much as possible, knowing that you have to work around Christmas? Tell me how you might go through this really quick turnaround compared to 2010. Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting question. I've thought about it, actually. I think, number one, you got to know your team. I, I think every team is different from year to year. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the leadership on your team, uh, you know, the big question with these guys is, are, are you going to let your guys go home? You know, some people don't feel like that's a very good idea. If it, indeed you, you don't want it, you don't want any risk of people coming back and, and, you know, having any, you know, interference that way. Uh, some people feel like, you know what, these guys mentally and physically, they're drained. They need to go home. They need to get away. They need to be with their families. Um, you know, so I think you got to know your team, to even start there, you know, what is, what is the best idea? You know, is, do I have a mature team? Is this a senior-laden team? 
are these guys going to go home and stay out of harm's way? Do they know and do I trust, you know, all of the guys to go home and do the things they need to do? I mean, you can look at Alabama right now and, and you talk about just about every team in the country and it seems like they've had COVID issues, but Alabama has not uh, by the way they've proceeded, by the way that they've kind of laid uh, their plan from August all the way till now. Uh, they, they seem to be one of the few teams that have never been affected. So um, I think to answer that question, you have to know your football team. Uh, and, and once you know the team and you know, um, you know, where they are physically, where they are mentally, where they are in terms of the maturity of the team, I think you can answer those questions a lot better. Uh, the two national championship teams I played on, same results, but very different teams in a lot of ways. Uh, so, again, I, I think it just kind of goes back to doing what you know as the head coach is the best for your football team and really proceeding that way. We kind of threw this around earlier in the podcast, but it, we've seen in the playoff before Clemson, Brent Venables, every time incredible defensive game plan that they've worked, that they've had time to work, and, and the results speak for themselves. Same thing with Alabama. You, you know, I think the preparation that they – are able to get in before bowl games, before playoff games, very key to, to how they perform. Does that give Ohio State and, and Notre Dame maybe a glimmer of a chance that, that those favored teams won't have the same amount of preparation time this time around? Maybe so, Dan. Um, you know, the, obviously, when you give – when you give – when you give – I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. I mean, you're looking at Brent Venable's – if he's not the best defensive coordinator out there, he'd have to be in the top two. I don't even know who you would throw out. Uh, but his game plans are unbelievable. Go back to the national championship game a couple of years ago out in California yep. where that was just a dominant defensive performance. So we know what he does. Nick's the best in the business, um, the best in, in really the history of college football, in my, in my opinion, with what he's been able to accomplish. And any time you can take away some time from those guys to study, <clears throat> to prepare – uh, to really actually look in, and have a, 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 a really good, sizable time to practice and really eliminate some thoughts they had going to the game when they say, you know what, we've looked at that. That doesn't look good. Let's throw it out. We've looked at that. So, you know, when you shrink that window of opportunity for them, you know, to practice and prepare, it certainly helps, uh, you know, you on the other side. Now, the question is, what does that do to you, right? So, you know, again, I think um, – Look, if you're going to play Clemson or Alabama, I don't care how you slice this, you're going to have your work cut out for you, Dan. You know that. You, you've tracked them all all year. And you, you can't even argue these two teams are phenomenal. Um, it starts with incredible quarterback play. Uh, there's first and second round draft picks everywhere you look on both of these football teams. Not that Ohio State and Notre Dame don't have really, really good players. Uh, but let's let's be honest. When you look at the body of work and you look at – what Clemson and Alabama have done, uh, boy, it's, it's just going to be a tall order for anybody to, to overtake these guys. So, Gene, Ohio State has played six games. We've talked about it a million times. Whether or not they deserve to get in is, is moot at this point. Um, but from your perspective as a coach, would you feel that they had an advantage if you had played 11 games and they had played six at this point? Or conversely, would you look at your own team having an advantage because you've had more time to practice together, to play together, and to get into a routine? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting. Every every team that's playing in the college football playoff right now has eleven games, with the exception of Ohio State. 
and I don't think there's any question, guys. I think that that plays to the advantage uh, for a lot of reasons. Number one, uh, just the, the amount of preparation time, the amount of practice time, uh, the amount of time you've had to play and prepare together. But think about when you've missed out on five other games right now, think about all of the ups and downs and all the things that championship teams have to go through to get to that point, uh, you know, at this point in the year with that many wins. Think about how many games you have to go through where, you know, you're getting challenged and the ups and downs in the games and how games flow. And you guys know it's not always about winning the game. Sometimes it's about how you win the game, right? People are going to look at Clemson and go, wow, Boston College almost beat them. Yeah, but they didn't. Uh, you know what I mean? So they had to find a way to come back uh, with backup quarterbacks, with everybody else picking up the slack for other guys. There's just things that happen chemistry-wise with a team. The more you play uh, and the more you play yourself into a championship um, as a championship contender, uh, and that matters. and It absolutely matters. And then the confidence level that you get knowing, I mean, if you're Alabama, you're walking out there and, and you're 11-0. and 0. And you haven't played any conference uh, outside of conference games. Everything is within conference. And, and you can say, look, the SEC wasn't as strong as it needed to be, X, Y, and Z. It doesn't matter. The SEC is the SEC, and they're 11-0. and 0. Look at Clemson. They're sitting there going, well, look, you know, the only game we lost was without our starting quarterback. Uh, it was in overtime. It was on the road. When we're at full strength, when we're at full tilt, what you saw last week is what you get. That's who we are. But they've had different times and different ways to win games and put themselves in a position to play for this. So confidence, chemistry, practice time, all of those things matter. And, and again, an 11-game uh, size, sample size uh, for teams is way more important uh, and is, is, is definitely a bigger factor than people are probably giving it credit for. We're now seven years into the playoff uh, and we're to the point that a lot of people predicted where there's, there's agitation. There's people who want to expand it. I, I'm not sure we'd be here in, in that position with a lot of the angst and happiness if we weren't headed for Alabama Clemson yet again. You know, I think if there were more schools that had been in the mix, maybe we wouldn't have this, this sort of unhappiness with the system, but from, from where you sit, is the system working like it should? And, and is there anything that can be done about the fact that these are the two best programs right now? Dan, I don't know. You can go back to recruit. You can go back to signing day. Okay. And I, I think people, you're right. I mean, people are clamoring out there for, you know, different names, different teams. Let's get some other involvement in this college football playoff. But, you know, it's almost like it's the chicken or the egg. I mean, look at signing day every year. Isn't it Clemson, Alabama, Ohio state? I mean, you know, those are three names that, you know, are just perpetually Georgia, perpetually at the, at the top of the list. Um, and it's how, the, it's how the programs are being developed. And, you know, again, if you expand it to eight, which, you know, this year, I, I've never been a guy to beat the table for eight teams. I, I just haven't. I've been happy with a four-team playoff. However, uh, if there's ever a year that makes you really question or really be an advocate for it, and me included. They asked me this on air the other night, and I couldn't just give the definitive answer and pound the table and say four is the number. Because if there was ever a year where you sit there and say eight would be – this would be perfect for an, an, an eight-team playoff, this would be the year to do it, right? But the circumstances are so, are so crazy out there. 
but it starts with the recruiting, Dan. I mean, it's the recruiting. It's the way these programs are being run. Uh, the, the top three or four teams that you see every year that are vying for a playoff spot are the same top three or four or five teams that you see in recruiting. Um, you know, look, an 18 playoff would certainly stir up a lot more interest from the outside world, uh, you know, that aren't the Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, you know, scenarios. Uh, but again, until people can start out recruiting them, uh, until people can put a product on the field that can consistently challenge them and beat them. I don't know. Even if you go to an eight team, Dan, one weekend, you're back to the same four. So, you know, I, I don't know that there's a clear cut answer on that. So you, you're obviously taking Alabama Clemson. If you look ahead to January 11th, what do you make of that matchup? And, and if you had to give your thoughts on it, what do you, what do you think about that game and, and who would have the edge? Well, I, I want to say this. I, I feel like those will be the two teams, uh, and, and that's not any disrespect or discredit uh, to Notre Dame uh, or Ohio State. It, it's really not. I think you're just looking at two incredibly dynamically talented football teams in Alabama and Clemson. Um, I think they will get to the final. I don't think it'll be an easy road to the final. I don't think you're going to see blowouts necessarily. Uh, which most people think they will be now. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, But if they get to the final game, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I thought it was unequivocally going to be Alabama. I really did. And I'm telling you, it wasn't close from the opening series. Clemson's game plan, the way they executed, this is when Trevor Lawrence was a true freshman, right? I, I just didn't see it happening. And the game wasn't ever close. Um, I would like to think Alabama has the edge uh, somewhat. Um, I just look at this offense and I look at all the things in the league. And it's probably a little bit, guys, because I haven't seen Clemson a lot uh, simply because I watch the SEC every week and I've seen Alabama in 11 straight games, watch their film. Nobody has been close to really defeating these guys. And whether it's been – their offense just as explosive and dynamic as it is. And let's not even forget, they're probably their most explosive player, or at least you can make the argument uh, when Waddle got hurt, he was their most explosive player at the time, uh, him and Devontae Smith. But you're looking at, I mean, arguably three guys in the Heisman race from one offensive football and one offensive football team. That's incredible. Um, But I'm not handing this, this trophy over to, to Alabama. Uh, I think Clemson is incredibly talented. I think they're extremely well coached by Dabo and that bunch. Um, I would give the edge right now a little bit to Alabama from what I know, but I'm really going to be interested to go back and look at the film. If both of them make it to the college football playoff and how those games developed with Notre Dame and Ohio state to watch them really play extremely talented football teams that are both physical on both sides of the line of scrimmage before I really see how I think this, this final game will play out. Well, Gene, thanks uh, so much for joining us on the uh, podcast. Really nice to get your take on everything and, and certainly hope you and your family are doing well. Hope you've had a great Christmas. I appreciate it, Dan. And, and thanks for having me on guys and hope you guys have a great rest of your holidays. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Gene Chizik. Thanks very much. Appreciate it guys. Inside the Amway coaches poll from USA Today Sports. Thanks very much to Gene Chizik for coming on the show. 
Paul, let's get into a little coaching carousel news. Since we last spoke on this podcast, Auburn has hired a coach. It is Brian Harson from Boise State. You are very familiar with Harson, very familiar with the Boise State program. Does Brian Harson know what he's getting into at Auburn? Uh, I think he does to a degree. Um, I don't think anyone truly knows what it's like to walk into Auburn, walk into a head to head with Nick Saban in Alabama on a daily basis. I think that's beyond anyone's real perception, but uh, look, he's a guy who since 2014, let's say, I think that's accurate since 2014 has been looking at what's my next step. And he's had opportunities, certainly opportunities to go deep into an interview process in the PAC 12 and elsewhere. And he's turned them down or, or not had that same level of interest reciprocated. So, yes, I think he is aware of what it's going to take to win at Auburn. Um, but I don't think anyone can truly be prepared. And I think it's a very interesting hire. He's very accomplished, um, but certainly um, a little bit out of left field based on the timing because the conversation at that point, at least from my perspective, you might think differently or say differently up until that day or the day before, it didn't seem like Harson was somebody who was on the radar. I think the hardest thing for somebody with Harson's background and pedigree is, is just the recruiting. Listen at Auburn, where you're recruiting, how you're recruiting, who you're recruiting against, like that's a different deal than, than at Boise state, you know? And uh, I'll be very interested to see if he goes in there with the approach like a Boise state type of approach where you're casting a wide net, you're recruiting nationally, you're looking for certain types of players, or if it's just, you know, you go in and and you try to get the most five stars you can, the most four stars you can, which is, which is what most people would do at Auburn because you can do that at Auburn. You have the capability Mm -hmm. to go recruit on that level. And I, I don't know which route he's going to take, but, but I will say, you know, anyone who comes into the sec thinking that they are going to win with inferior players, at the level that Auburn expects you to win, like that's just not going to happen. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think you're going to see a balance of it. You already know that he's going to keep a few guys on staff who will have some footholds in that region. So like you said, if you can recruit the five stars, don't be an idiot and dig over like some stones in Texas. Just just get the five stars. Um, What's interesting about Harson and one thing that he has done very well or what his program did very well at Boise State that they developed the three most important players on any single team. And they developed quarterbacks very well. They developed offensive tackles, specifically left tackles very well. And they, they developed edge rushers. Um, and he was working obviously with a different level of overall inherent athleticism and talent, at least in terms of being a finished product or close to it when arriving on campus. So true development, evaluation and assessment. So I think that's a positive sign. Um, I will say about Harson, if you ask 10 coaches, I think I've used that metaphor already, but if you ask 10 guys who worked for him in the past um, and in 10 players as well, six of them would love him. And I think six of them would, would appreciate what he's about, even though his, his style and demeanor isn't for everybody. And I think two or three um, would be a little bit ambivalent. And I think another one or two would, would really not be a fan of his. So I don't know if he's a cuddliest guy and I don't know if you need to be, he's a very driven guy. Um, and sometimes can alienate a few people. Um, I wonder how it's going to play at Auburn in the locker room, not knowing a lot about how miles on ran that program. I'm not sure how much of a dramatic shift it's going to be, but, um, he is an interesting guy and, and not, like I said, not quite for everybody based off conversations I've had with people who are familiar with him. Yeah. Well, I think that element's 
as interesting outside the locker room as it is inside the locker room. Because look, Auburn is the type of place where there's a lot of big money boosters who put a lot of resources into that program and they expect the coach to gas them up. You know, they, they expect the coach to, to welcome them in and have them to practice and backslapping and all that stuff. And boy, you know, I hope someone's prepared him for that. He, he's, you're going to have to kiss some ass there. Yeah. And look like Boise is in its own way, in its own little bubble, a big time program, certainly within the mountain West bubble, a group of five bubble. And, and they carry themselves like that. If you spend time around that program, not just the coaches, but just the entire administration. Um, I imagine this is going to be culture shock in a big time way. Um, and an eye opener for Harson uh, when he gets there. And like you said, not just the day to day things that he's responsible for, but, just how much of a machine and just a, a factory these SEC football programs are. Um, there's no more like opportunity for, for a learning curve. He's got to hit the ground running. He's got, you know, a month and change to the late signing period. He's got to keep kids who are verbally committed. He's got to add more. So um, it's going to be an endeavor. And I think it's made more difficult by the fact that we're still going to be in a COVID life until at least, you know, the summer or early fall. So God bless him. I think this is a tough job. It's a very good job, but it's a hard one. So I'm not sure what to say about him going forward, but uh, he's got a, He's got a challenge ahead. Arizona has hired Jed fish uh, quarterbacks coach for the Patriots has been involved in the NFL. He's been involved in college football. He was the offensive coordinator for a while at UCLA at, at Michigan. Uh, this is one of those hires where when it happens, I get texts from a bunch of different people telling me how awful the hire is, uh, mm-hmm. which, which means it's probably going to work out great. You know, it's <laughs> kind of the way it goes. Um, I, look, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of getting out of the business of saying, oh, this is a great hire. This is a terrible hire because it's just w- nobody knows anything, right? Uh, but Jet Fish has been really good for a long time at getting his name to pop up for a lot of these jobs where he didn't really actually have a great chance of getting it, but he's been able to sort of, at least from a media standpoint, put himself in the mix. He gets this one. Um, and I just don't know. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's, it's okay to say he's, there are certainly some things on his resume that indicate he can do well. And there's some things you question. It's not like the offense, <laughs> when he was at, at Michigan or when he was at UCLA was like, blow you away. But he does have a very long track record. He's got a good resume, uh, worked with some very good coaches. I, I don't know what really to make of it. Yeah. I don't know either, but uh, we all love the, the Sumlin hire. Um, and that didn't turn out so well. So like you said, maybe it's not that smart just to make broad statements about it. My, my concern is, and, and not knowing Jed fish at all, having never even met him or spoke to him, um, he's had nine different jobs since 2009. Uh, so you could look at that and think, oh, he's learned from a lot of different guys. Or you can look at it and say, like, what is his philosophy? Has he been, like, keeping notes? Is he some sort of alloy of Doug Marone, Jim Harbaugh, uh, you know, Chip Kelly, Bill Belichick? What, what's he about? What does he represent? I, I truly have no idea at all. Um, and besides, I think if you're in Arizona – you're not just like, you don't have any built in great advantages. I would have hired a guy with past head coaching experience. I think that's to a detriment to him because we saw what is left in place 
you better have a four or five year blueprint for this, or you're going to be two and 22 after two years and it'll be, and you'll be finished. Speaking of head coaching experience, Louisiana Monroe hired Terry Bowden. How about that? Yeah. I think next job Terry Bowden's going to have, is that like some, you know, like American school in Germany, like he keeps <laughs> moving down the ladder from Auburn, well, you know, to North Alabama, whatever. So, I mean, I think he's also 70 years old. He can't quit. Can't quit. But I mean, to actually speak about his chances here. Oh, no, he's not 70, 64. I, I, I shouldn't, 60. I shouldn't say that. 64. Yeah. Right. He, um, uh, you go to Akron and you rebuild Akron to a degree. I guess that's some prep for Louisiana Monroe kind of, um, as we wrote this season, Louisiana Monroe did not lead at any point in any single game. So you have nowhere to go except get better. I just don't know how long Terry Bowden's like going to coach. Yeah. It's, it's a tough job. I I don't know. It's one of those things like almost just try to get someone who's somewhat competent, who knows how to, do this and hope to get it stabilized for, for the next guy. That that's kind of how I read that. So, you know, with Boise state being out there, we're kind of at the end of the coaching carousel. It seems, although you never know what might pop up guys may leave for the NFL. Uh, There's still some thought out there about Tennessee. Could they make a move? I I think that window maybe is, is probably a little closed at this point, but uh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, but uh, nothing else on the coaching carousel right right now, and and which is unusual for the week of, of of a playoff game. All right, so let's get to our picks. I guess it's fairly obvious where we're going, but uh, let's uh, take a look at the Sugar Bowl: Ohio State, Clemson, Clemson, a little more than uh, or around a touchdown favorite. What do you think? Who who you got advancing to the final? I could see this game being a lot like the January Fiesta Bowl in that it's lower scoring. Uh, I think the amount of speed both teams have on defense could be conducive to making this more of a a plotting field position game for at least part of it. Um, Like we kind of intimated before, I do like Clemson. I think this game is going to be close. Um, I don't think either team has the capability of blowing out the other and barring some sort of unfortunate or unforeseeable rash of turnovers. So I'm going to take Clemson. Um, 27 21 let's say tigers i am certainly rooting for a close game i do not think it will be all that close i just think ohio state just hasn't had the opportunity to be sharp enough to to play a team like clemson i i think this is 38 to 14 wow okay good stuff dan i haven't heard anyone else actually call for a clemson blowout yeah i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be a blowout. okay really interesting what do you got rose bowl Rose Bowl. Well, yeah, I I think I got Alabama. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Alabama's awesome. I I just, like we said, uh, Hey, you know, maybe there's a scenario where, where Notre Dame hangs around for a quarter. Uh, But uh, I I think we're kind of in a, you know, 45 to 21 type of game. Yeah, I think what did I I think I might have said a score before. I think I said 38-21. Yeah, I'm going to stick with 38-21 or 38-24, one of those two scores. Um, Notre Dame loses. Maybe one of those touchdowns is late to uh, make it look a little bit better. Alabama controls it but doesn't dominate, you know, like a Missouri, it's closer to a Georgia. 
All right. Well, that's our predictions. We'll see how they turn out. We will have a podcast after the uh, semifinals and heading into the national championship game to finish off the year of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll. Paul, thanks very much. Have fun down in New Orleans. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to fly in. I'm going to get in like the 31st at 9 p.m. I'm going to fly out the 2nd at like 8 a.m. It's going to be a, a real quick COVID era travel trip. Well, and that's the thing is like, typically you go down to a bowl game in new Orleans, like you're making dinner reservations at commander's palace or Cochon butcher or someplace like that. Not, not this year. That's just not going to happen. Do you think I'm going to be able to get food? Like, let's say like I get in, if I get to my hotel nine o'clock new year's Eve, am I going to be able to get somebody to eat? Yeah. I don't know. Isn't new Orleans closing down kind of early. I think you'll be able to do something, uh, but yeah, you might want to research that going to i'm gonna do that right now thanks dan all right well for paul meyerberg i'm dan wolken this has been the inside the amway coaches poll hope everyone has a healthy safe and happy new year and enjoy some football along the way you've been listening to inside the amway coaches poll from usa today sports listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform Hello, I'm Dr. Jennifer Truong, clinical researcher and nutrition investigator. Focus is like a mental muscle. The more you practice, the more you build it up. By building your mental focus, you will find that you're able to accomplish more and concentrate on the things in life that matter. There are several ways to build your focus. A few key approaches to start with include eliminate distractions, practice mindfulness, meditate, and exercise. Eliminating distractions is the hardest of all these. Did you know that once distracted, it takes an average of 25 minutes to return to your original task? But you know what? Writing down distracting thoughts can really help you stay focused. Sometimes you need a little extra help to stay focused. Ginseng is an ancient herb that has long been used to support your mind and help you stay focused. And by Neutralize Slave a Day Gummies and Shots contain a blend of 75 milligrams of natural ginseng, 50 micrograms of B12, plus 2 milligrams of B6. Get in the zone when you demand it with N by Neutralize Slave a Day Gummies and Shots.